Morning, Meadows. Let me ask you this. It sounds really coincidence. That a few weeks ago, Drew was supposed to preach, and that week he threw out his back. And he was able to preach, but he was in a lot of pain. And then a few weeks after that, Stuart was supposed to preach and found that he had such bad back spasms that he couldn't get out of bed. And then this morning at 5.30, I got a call from Drew. Now, it's never, parents, it's never good when your, your kids call you at 5.30 in the morning, right? You know that right there, that's a problem. And so uh, my phone rings and it says, Drew, and I'm like, this isn't good. And I would ask you, do you think it's a coincidence that this morning Drew wakes up with a fever of 100.9? Okay. I don't think any of this is a coincidence. By the way, if you don't know me, I'm Mark Barnes. Um, And if you don't know, I get emotional, okay? So (laughs) those that do know me, they go, okay, we know. Let, Let me just start by doing this. Okay. But I don't think any of this is a coincidence. And I would invite you to partner with us, with leadership of this church, to be praying, because I think God is doing a work, and I think Satan hates it. So be praying for the four of us who are preaching, be praying for our elders, be praying for each other, but I ask, I covet your prayers. Because I think we are on the front lines. And I'm okay with that. I talked with somebody this, a couple weeks ago, and, and they were just asking God what they should be doing here. And they said, I'm a little nervous, though. Because I think I put myself in the line of fire. And I said, you do. You need to know that. But there's no other place I'd rather be. When I received Drew's call this morning at 5.30, okay, and he said, I have my manuscript, I've got what I was going to preach on, and I said, well, send it to me. But here's the problem. I preach different than Drew, and Stuart preaches different than me, and Mark preaches different than all of us, right? And, and so we, we each come at things, but we've been doing this together, and so... While I hadn't planned on preaching this morning, I've been in this passage because we've been looking at this passage. And my first thought when I saw the phone ring was, oh, and Drew said, I've got a fever. And I thought, this can't be right. God, this can't be right. This is not the plan. This can't be right. As we talked and as he shared his manuscript and I'm looking through it, it just felt like God said, that's what I want you to preach. This can't be right. This week, Thursday night, I received a text from a woman that 
Uh, I got to know as she was a part of our youth group here many years ago. Um, and over the years, God has allowed us to keep connection and relationship, and that's been a good thing. And her text just said, I've been thinking a lot about you lately because it feels like we're approaching the end days. Anybody else feeling like, like man, this? Are we in Revelation yet? Um, and I said to her, I agree, we certainly are headed there. And I said, and that's why I find no hope in anything else other than Jesus Christ. Now, we can say amen, and I'm glad you said amen. But here's the thing. What does that mean? Because as Christians, maybe we know what that means. Maybe we've lived that and we, we understand that. But here's what I think we need to do this morning. We need to unpack that. Because we can say our hope is only in Jesus Christ. Amen. And yet, this week, the reason she was texting me is her daughter goes to Evanston High School. And if you didn't hear, on Thursday they were in lockdown because they found two handguns in the school. Okay, that'll, that'll put a little fear in you. She's a teacher... And if you didn't know, this week on social media there was a platform promoting that students go in and shoot up their schools. So high schools especially, but schools were on high alert, were nervous, were fearful. And these are just some of the things that caused her to go, this world is getting really crazy think we're getting near the end, don't you? And that's where I go. Our hope is only in Jesus Christ, but this morning I want to unpack that because what does that mean? Because the reality is two handguns were found in a high school this past Thursday, and I have a feeling they weren't there for good reasons. Social media, our culture, everything is pushing us in wrong directions. And we can say our hope is in Jesus Christ, but you know what? Tomorrow you're going to work. Tomorrow your kids are going to school. Tomorrow, all of this, right? And if we just say our hope is in Jesus, those words will, will ring hollow at some point if we don't grasp what that means. So let me, let me pray, and then let's start to unpack that through Matthew here and see if we can understand what that hope is. Father, I believe. Father, I know your word speaks and has everything we need. And I believe you put something on my heart this morning. But Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would keep me from going off track, from wandering into things you don't desire, to keep me focused on only what you desire. Father, I pray for our people here and those listening online. Father, help us. 
by your Holy Spirit, to have ears to hear. Help us to understand, to grasp what you're saying in all of this. Help us to understand who you are. Help us to understand the the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I ask this in his amazing name. What I've come to realize is we tend to write a story for ourselves of what we project we would love our story to be, right? Think about this. I hadn't thought about it, but I, I go, yep, that's, that's me, and I have a feeling it's you. When Kathy and I, if you don't know my wife, Kathy, uh, she's the only girl I ever dated. Uh, we started dating in high school, and... Um, I'm a young high school boy. And this woman, this girl said, yes, she would go out with me. <laughs> the emotion that is going on, right? Like, oh, oh my goodness. And, and my mind already starts to paint what this relationship might look like, right? Um, I see us becoming boyfriend and girlfriend. I see us engaged and oh my goodness and I, I, I write in my mind what the story should look like and after about a year or so we hit a rough spot where I thought we're not going to make it this, this is falling apart I thought God this isn't the story I've written And yet God helped us to work through that and made our relationship stronger. And obviously, I married her. But our marriage was not always easy. And and sometimes we look a certain way, but I would say, I tell people our first five years of marriage were by far the hardest. Trying to navigate and figure out male, female, all this stuff, right? We're both in school. And I can remember days when I thought, Okay, let me pull out my storybook. Okay, God, this is not what the story is supposed to look like. See, I've got everything going really sweet. And yet, through those things, God was forging and chiseling and deepening our relationship for each other and for him. And we needed those days. I think I often thought, this can't be right. This is where I get emotional, because I have a sister who's 14 years younger than I am. I have a sister, but she no longer resides here in her earthly home. She has gone to her heavenly home with her Lord and Savior, and she did at age 26. She's the baby of the family. I'm 40, she's 26, and she dies of complications from Marfan syndrome. That can't be right. Anybody agree? That can't be right. God, this is not the story that I've written for my baby sister. That can't be right. 
here's what I know. You all have stories. And I, I'm guessing that the past two years did not match up with the stories you had written. Am I right? I know some of you have lost loved ones in the past two years. Either through COVID, because of COVID, or you lost them. And then you couldn't gather to even have a, have a memorial because of the situation and all of that. And that can't be right, God. I know some of you have lost friends or have lost friendships during the last few years. I know that many of you feel disconnected. You've lost connection with people and maybe with your church and maybe you're watching online even now because, because of all that's going on. And you feel that disconnect and you're like, God, this can't be right. Maybe you're looking at the political scene and you're like, okay, God, can we talk? This can't be right. Maybe you're looking at the fact that we sent our pastor and his family out to Iowa to plant a church. And you go, great for them. But God, this can't be right. What are we going to do? I know some of you have lost jobs. The past two years have have been filled with stuff that I know wasn't on any of our storylines, right? Nobody in 2019 was writing the stories of what we've experienced over the last two years. And so often, we would be correct in saying, this isn't right. Our response can be, I need to change this. I need to change this. We, I'm going to fix this. Or I need to go someplace where it is fixed and it's better. And maybe that's a new job. Maybe that's a new church. Maybe it's just relationships. You're like, I'm done with them. It, we go, I need to fix this because this isn't right. So let's unpack what hope in Jesus Christ We have been looking at the first two chapters of Matthew for Advent. And at first, you're like, oh, this will be great. Uh, and the four of us are talking, this will be great. And then you go, uh, has anybody read through chapter two? Don't we want to do Luke? You know? Oh, that's rough. They had to get on a donkey and go down to Bethlehem. Yeah, let's do Luke. And we just felt like, we're supposed to do Matthew. We started off with the genealogies of Jesus in Matthew 1. Here's what I want you to see in here. Matthew, the tax collector. The guy that when Jesus called him, I'm sure the other disciples said, whoa, this is not right. You had a zealot. I was talking with Drew just this week. You had a zealot, okay? You had a tax collector. I'm sure they didn't hang around each other for a while, okay? It was because of Jesus Christ that everything changed. But no matter how much Jesus was like, come on, boys, shake hands, let's get along. 
it's not going to happen, right? You have a zealot that wants to overthrow the Roman government by any means possible, including killing and doing whatever it takes. You have a tax collector that says, hey, i got to make a living. If you can't beat them, join them. Let's... And, and they're called, and I'm sure many in that group said, that can't be right. But here we are in, in Matthew who writes this because he wants us to see Jesus as the king. Jesus as the Messiah. Often growing up and studying the Bible, you, you're told what, you know, well, the book of Matthew, the focus is Jesus is the king. The book of Mark, Jesus is the servant. All true, all good. But I think intellectually you take that in and you go, yeah, Matthew's pounding it in us. Jesus is the king. Let me show you from beginning all the way through, Jesus is the king. In a couple of weeks, we're going to see John the Baptist. He's going to start talking about this kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, because the king has arrived, right? He wants to pound it into us, and so he is going to keep going. This had to happen because that's what was told, foretold that this was going to happen. And so here in, in, in the beginning of Matthew, I think when he drew, preached on this, he said this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That word genealogy. Uh, genealogy. This is where my brothers that, that know the Greek and the Hebrew, they, they, they help us that don't, right, Mark? Um, and they, they give us background, and they both went, you know, that, that word, the Greek word there, that means Genesis. This is the Genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's pointing back to the beginning. The beginning. This is the Genesis. So everything Matthew's doing is with purpose, and he's pointing back to the plan. God's story. This is God's story. And it may not be our story, because we're writing ours, and we go, how about this one? And he goes, how about this one? And here in this genealogy, what do we see? We see a mess. Right? We have prostitutes, sinful people, and we can say all of them are sinful because we're sinful. Sinful people. We have Jews and Gentiles. We have men and women. All these things shouldn't be included in a normal genealogy, right? Matthew has purpose. And what I've learned in studying this, everything Matthew writes, go, what's, why, why did he leave this out? Why did he put this in? There's purpose here. So these people that he picked, everyone has a purpose in this genealogy. But the bottom line is, he focuses in on Abraham and the promise made to Abraham that he would be the father of a mighty nation and all the families of the world would be blessed through him. One problem. He didn't have a son. And he's old. And his wife is old and barren. This is not right. This is not right. God had a story. We see David. David, you're going to be a king and your throne. Someone from your lineage is going to be on the throne forever. The problem is, before David becomes king, he's anointed, he's told he'll be king, and yet the king, Saul, wants to kill him. That can't be right. 
And there's another problem. See, David, as king, he has an affair with another man's wife and then has that man killed. That cannot be right. And I go, sometimes it's external events. Abraham, he had no son. Was that his problem? No, it was external. David was being sought and tried to kill, was trying, someone was trying to kill him. Was that his fault? No. But sometimes it's our fault. David, his choices in having an affair with Bathsheba, in killing her husband, was that on him? Yes. And yet here's what I see. That's not right. And I can say it isn't. And yet, God wasn't done with Abraham. God wasn't done with David. He says, I'm I'm the writer of the story. So why don't you put your story away and just follow me? We get down to the second portion of Matthew 1. And again, here's something that you don't usually see. Verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. That word birth looks nothing like genealogy, does it? We would say those, those two words are nothing alike. They don't even mean the same thing except they're the same Greek word. Genesis. So we start the genealogy and Matthew's like, hey, here's the Genesis. Get it? Genesis of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. We get to the birth of Jesus. He says, now, the genesis, the beginning of Jesus Christ took place this way. Matthew is saying something here. He keeps pointing back. Because he goes, folks, this is God's story. So we need to keep going back and reading the story to realize God is on track. We have not missed the story. We are not thwarting the story. God is moving and he's writing his story and he already knows the beginning, the genesis from the end. We know how it ends. And it might feel like we're pretty close to this and maybe pretty far from this, but he has written the story. And here are the Jewish people over 500 years, they have been under foreign rule. That can't be right. And God says, I'm writing this story with purpose. Because you see, this one coming, this king coming, is coming with purpose. He's coming to save his people. But not from what you think. Not the narrative you've written down. Yes, you'll make us a great and mighty nation. We'll overthrow the Romans at this point. We will rise and be good and great again. He says, hang on. See, I've written the story. He will come to save his people from their sin. And we talked about the problem is what's in us is really what we need to be saved from. First and foremost. Last week, Mark talked about Herod. True or false, right? The true word, the true king, the true worship believers, right? 
the puppet king, Herod, the ones the Roman had, Romans had installed, was he of the lineage of David? No. Were the high priest of the lineage of Aaron? No. These were, these were just people put in position by those with power. We write the story, God. And God chuckles. He goes, yep. Because Matthew goes, this occurred to fulfill that. Nothing, nothing happens outside of God's desires for his purpose. We see the Magi come to worship this king. Matthew just keeps wanting to go, this is the one, the Messiah, the king. The one that we need and have been waiting for. That we desire to worship. Let me read today's verses. Matthew 2, verses 13 to 15. Just a short little passage here. But I want you to think about what's going on. Because it's obvious this is not right. It says, now when they had departed, who had departed? The Magi. God told them, go a different way. Leave a different route. Herod does not want to come and worship this child. So you are supposed to leave a different way. So it says, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Ooh, destroy. Kill him, okay? Other versions just say, kill him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Listen. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Matthew keeps going, this happened. And you can say, that's not right. And he goes, hang on. It had to happen. To fulfill what was prophesied about this chosen one, this Messiah, this anointed one, this Savior, this King. Actually, if it doesn't happen, he's not the king. And here in these short verses, he tells us, this is the Son of God. Think of that. Nothing else matters. When we talk about our hope is in Jesus, if he is not God, it doesn't matter. If anybody puts their hope in me, like, I will fail you every time, okay? I've got nothing. If he is not God... He is nothing. He's making promises that he can't fulfill. And yet Matthew keeps going, folks, this had to happen. This, This prophecy that Matthew is saying is being fulfilled in the fact that in the middle of the night, Joseph is sleeping and he's aroused by by a vision, and he is told that he needs to go, get up and go to Egypt. 
I love Joseph. I said I had a whole sermon that I could have preached on Joseph, but, but that wasn't the important thing. It was interesting, but it wasn't the focus because Jesus is the focus, right? But Joseph is such a godly man, and we see him respond to God every time. Joseph, it's okay. Mary's baby is from the Holy Spirit. And you name him Jesus because he'll save his people from their sin. Okay. Here, he's told, he's instructed, you need to get up, you need to get going, you need to head to Egypt. I don't know about you, if you've traveled overseas now, there's one spot, Panama, that I'm pretty comfortable with, okay? My daughter lives there, and so we fly there, and I just know we're going to land in the airport, I don't speak the language, all i got to do is go through this thing, and sometimes in customs, it's a little shaky, uh, thumbs, no, hands, okay? And then we walk out the door, and there she is. And I'm like, ah, good. Take us home. Um, I don't know about you flying to another country where you don't know anybody. But you know you need to flee. And God said, go to Egypt. I don't know if Joseph had friends, family there, but he knows he needs to go. And it says, he, in the middle of the night, Mary, grab Jesus. We got to go. So they do. Joseph responds and he goes, and this can't be right. Mary would have every right to say, this cannot be right. I was told by the angels, this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. God will protect him. We don't have to go. I'm not afraid. I just want to stay. I want to sleep. He's sleeping. Shh. And Joseph said, God said we got to go. And Matthew goes, there's a reason for that. It's fulfilling prophecy. And this prophecy, this is what struck me. This prophecy is in, in Hosea 11 verse 1. If you haven't read the book of Hosea, it's, it's, a, it's a hard book and a wonderful book because God tells his prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute who is unfaithful to him, continues to be unfaithful, and there's a portion where he says, God says, he's talking about his bride, Israel, and he says, I want to take her out to the desert. And I'm reading this a while ago, and I think, and just... Ugh, and he says, and whisper sweetly into her ear how much I love her. Hosea is a love story, but it's this brutal, hard love story of an unfaithful woman who God keeps pursuing. It's Israel. And here in the 11th chapter, verse 1, he says this phrase that Out of Egypt, I will call my son. Oh, Israel. He's talking about Israel, his son. And here, Matthew's connecting it to Jesus, his son. But how did Israel get into Egypt the first time? See, all these stories, God's painting stories, and they all connect. It's his story. How did they get there the first time? Well, you remember another Joseph? He was one of 12 brothers okay and his brothers hated him because his father loved him and they sell him into slavery and tell the father that he'd been killed that is not right okay i don't care god that is not right that is not the story that is not the plan god you told me my brothers would bow down to me you told me that you would use me and here i am 
being sold into slavery. He is sold to a man named Potiphar, whose wife comes on to him, and he flees, and she makes accusations. And here this godly, righteous young man is thrown into prison for something he didn't do. And you can say, God, that is not right. And I want you to hear me. Almost everything I'm saying in our human understanding is not right. Okay? I'm not saying, well, muster up, just get tough, rub dirt on it. It's right. No, it's not. It is not right. But God goes, I can take anything and use it for my purpose and for my glory and for my kingdom. Eventually, because Joseph can it tells a couple guys in the prison what their dreams mean, and he says, hey, remember me? And they go, sure. And then they go off and they forget, right? And it gets to a point where the king has a dream, and he's like, who can tell me what's going on? And one guy goes, oh, oh, I, oh, I remember a guy in the prison. He, he could tell you the dream. They bring Joseph up. He, gets, he tells the, the king, and he would say, it's not me, it's God. And, and the king puts him in a, a position because he tells him, here's what's coming, O king. There's going to be seven years of just great harvest. And then there's, there's going to be famine. And you need to prepare for this, O king. And he says, Joseph, I want to put you in charge of this. Go. I believe you. And he does. And through that, his brothers eventually are starving and their father sends them off to Egypt to go try to find food. And they encounter, and they don't even know at first that it's their brother Joseph. And, and there's a lot of story that goes on, but eventually he reveals, I'm your brother Joseph. And he's weeping, and they're petrified. Joseph got it. Just like Joseph here in Matthew, he got it, and he just, like, I'm on board with God's story. This is not my story. I'm on board with God's story. And so he told them, what you meant for evil, and that's true. They were angry, they were hateful, they desired for him to die. None of that's right. So we can say that's not right. But he said, what you desired for evil, God intended for good. I love, so that many would be saved from this famine. And so... Joseph got it. And I believe Joseph here in Matthew gets it. There's tons of things every day that we encounter where you can legitimately say, that's not right. And God says, would you follow me and trust my story? Maybe our story is to come alongside the things that are not right and be light and be Christ to those that need that. Okay? think we have to understand what Matthew's saying. He keeps going back and goes, this is the story. We missed it. We didn't understand it, but it had purpose. And sometimes we go, that's not fair. I don't get it. I, I hear you. Maybe you're struggling with health issues. Just getting old. When I was younger, older people would say, getting old is hard. And I would chuckle and go, I bet it is. Okay, those of you who are younger, Getting old is hard. 
And those that are older, you keep telling me that. Maybe it's just stuff like that. You're like, God, this isn't right. And he goes, no, it's not. I didn't create you to get older and die, but sin came. The world fell. Broken people are here, and every day you will encounter plenty of things that are not right because they are not as the king desires. It's not the plan that God desires, but he can take all that is a part of his world and a part of our lives, he says, and I can take that and write my story with it. And it might not be the story you think that you want. But trust me, it's the story you're going to want. Let me give an example. I, I heard a, I don't know if you've ever heard of a, a pastor named Paul Washer. Paul Washer is intense. He is, he is so passionate for Christ and so passionate for the Word. <laughs> He, he can, wow, he can hit you with hard stuff. And I listened to him one time. Uh, he was asked, in, in all that's going on right now, how do we as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, how do we respond to all that's happening in our world, in our country right now? And Paul said, Here's what I think we need. We need to be people of the Word. We need to soak ourselves in the Word. We need to be in the Word. And, and, and here's what he wasn't saying. Oh, we just need to find out how we should respond. Let's see if we got a verse. Oh, here's what we should do. Right here, this verse. Or, got a coffee cup with, with this little verse on it. You know, all things work together for good. Okay, yeah, that's what you need. Be in the Word. No, Paul was not saying that. Paul Washer was saying, we need to drench ourselves in the Word so that we get to know this God. We need to get to a point where we trust and know this God fully. And that's how we live and respond in our society today. He said, um, Paul Washer was a, a pastor in Peru, I believe it was, for a number of years. He said while he was down there, he was meeting with a, with a man, and all of a sudden the door just popped open a little bit, and a friend of his, a close friend of his, poked his head in and said, Hey, Paul, can I have the keys to your Jeep? And Paul said he reached into his pockets and tossed him the keys, and the man left. And the other gentleman said, You didn't even ask him what he was going to do with your Jeep. And Paul said, I didn't need to. I know who he is. I trust him. I didn't have to know. And that just struck me. He goes, that? That is the hope of Jesus Christ. That is where we get the hope of Jesus Christ. Do we trust God? Do we know God? If you don't know Him, you cannot trust Him. If you're not soaking in the Word, and, and, and I'm in a discipleship group, and I love it that, that we're honest, and early on, almost all of us said, you know what, um, I'm in the Word sometimes, but it's like I'm checking boxes. 
Checking boxes doesn't give you hope. It doesn't help you to know who Jesus Christ is. It doesn't help you to know who the Father is. It doesn't help you to know that these things had to happen because they were told about, foretold long before these things happened. Oh, there is a plan. Sometimes we don't need to know the plan. We just need to know there is a plan, right? I think Matthew's going, there's a plan. He's a good God. He's a trustworthy God. And the Son, the Messiah, the King has come to execute that plan in ways that we will benefit and find all that we've talked about in lighting these candles, right? Hope and joy and peace and love. You can't get that on a coffee mug. It comes by soaking yourself in the Word to the point where you know this God. So let me challenge you. Can we be people of the word? We need to be people of the word. We've got no hope. We can talk about hope in Jesus Christ, but if that's just a word that we say and we say amen, hallelujah, and we just go on our life and we walk home and we go, I wonder how everybody else has hope because I don't have hope. We need to be people of the Word. On this day that we celebrate, the last Sunday before Christmas, the last Sunday of Advent, can I encourage you to start committing to be people of the Word? How do you do that? Okay. I like, I like, how do we do that? What can we do with this? In our discipleship group, it's one of the questions is, what does this demand of us? Or what do we have to do to respond to what we hear today? How are you going to respond to it? I can't tell you, but I can suggest some things that I know are on my heart. Don't just read the Word. If you're not reading the Word, start reading the Word. If, you're not, if you are reading the Word, but you go, I'm just checking the box, I'm reading. Okay, let's start reading the Word. And, and I don't know that we have a reading plan for 2022 yet, do we? We will. That would be a great way. For the last, I don't know, 10 years maybe, uh, I've been reading through the Word every, every year. Before that, I'm like, I can't do that. Okay, I just started doing it. Um, but here's something I would add with reading through the Word. We're going through the book of Matthew. Okay? So you don't have to go, I wonder what they're going to preach on today. We're going to be preaching out of Matthew. Okay, next week, uh, well, um, between Good, uh, good, good Friday, wow, good, <laughs> um, between Christmas Eve and next Sunday, we're going to finish up chapter 2. Starting in January, we're in chapter 3. Here's what I want you to do. Read chapter 2 every day this week. Start soaking it up. Start soaking it up. Next week, start reading chapter 3. As we go through the, chapter, the whole chapter, just keep reading chapter 3, chapter 3, chapter 3, chapter 3. I, I know some of you are in Bible study fellowship and other things. That's great. Do that. Read chapter 2, chapter 2, chapter 3. And I guarantee as you come and as we preach and gather together, 
the word will come alive. And that is how we will soak ourselves in the world, word, and that is how we will find hope in Jesus Christ. We have a Father that loves us, that has adopted us, that has, has called us into his kingdom. We have a king who laid down his life for us. He has a plan. He invites us to be a part of the plan. But we're called to trust and follow. And if you don't trust, you won't follow. And you don't get anything the king offers. I hope this encourages you today. God is in control. But it's not just something we say. Matthew is laying it out for us right here. Let's be people of the word. Let's trust this mighty God who sent his son as our king, our Messiah. Father, everything in us wants to rebel as well as those things around us. And yet you, by the blood of your son, redeemed us broke the chains of bondage that keep us from ever having a chance of loving you, of ever trusting you. You've given us your Holy Spirit so that we can know you, we can hear your word, we can understand you so that we can follow you in the strength and the power of your Spirit and find all that you offer in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for us as your people that this week we would not only have hope and peace and joy and love, but we would be people that give out hope and peace and joy and love, that we would share the good news that we have because we really have it. Soak it into our hearts. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.